Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for tonight's program. Because I think there are people who think all problems are of the devil and God would never allow problems in our lives. And all you have to do, I think, is live a bit and you realise that's not the case. Secondly, as we read about the life of Christ, I don't know anyone who would think Christ did not have problems. There are a few things in life that we can be fairly sure of. One of them is that sooner or later life will present us with problems. Some areas of life present greater opportunity for problems it seems and tonight's discussion is one of them, marriage. Dr Corbett is in a four-part series titled The Theology of Problems. It might be hard to imagine that God has any purpose in problems so if you're not sure how that works you'd best stay tuned. Let's join Dr Corbett now for The Problem of marriage. This is my second Sunday back from being away on leave and uh, last night someone who hadn't seen me last Sunday looked and saw that I had a beard and said oh you're back but it looks like your face is still on holidays. So (laughs) I'm not sure how to take that actually but anyway. We are looking at problems and I I need to say a couple of things before we jump into this because I could do a lot of damage if I don't. And the reason we're looking at this is because I want, I really believe we have a contribution to make to the well-being of society generally. I think we have a contribution to make to people's physical health, mental health, emotional health. And sometimes it's things like problems that when you're in a bad place, they can overwhelm. And you can just feel like there's no hope, there's no way out. And I think God's word has something to say about that. And I think if we, honestly, I think if we get a right understanding of how God sees problems and how God sees difficulties, we will face such things completely differently to the way people who have no relationship with God can face them. So this is what I'm calling in this series, which is a part of a a bigger series this year, which I might call Uncomfortable Theology, is, is a part of this whole idea that it's not comfortable to think that God would allow, not even allow, but actually create and ordain for us to have problems in our lives. Theology, theos, the Greek word for God, theos, the study of or the reasons for is looking at anything from God's point of view so when we say theology we mean God's point of view about so we are looking at the theology of problems understanding how problems can actually serve to do something really good really positive in us today we're going to look at something that I know there are people not here today because of the topic. I know that. I know that whenever I deal with this topic, people don't turn up. There's a lot I could say about that, but I just want to acknowledge that I know that this topic is an extremely uncomfortable topic for many people. So this is today, part two of the problem series. It's the problem with marriage. The problem with marriage and it's looking at the theology of problems, but it's in particular 
how God will allow problems to come into a marriage. Now I know I'm going to counter, I'm going to come up against people who've got what I consider to be a wacky idea about God and a wacky idea about how God relates to us. Because I think there are people who think all problems are of the devil and God would never allow problems in our lives. And all you have to do, I think, is live a bit and you realise that's not the case. Secondly, as we read about the life of Christ, I don't know anyone who would think Christ did not have problems when he walked the shores of Galilee. And those who followed him immediately, the disciples, they certainly had problems too. So as we look at this, I really want to just say right up front, I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to to bring out any dirty laundry of anybody. I'm not here to ridicule. I'm not here to mock. I'm not here to do any of that. I'm actually at the end of this. I want I want you to experience healing and wholeness. So I have two audiences today. Two audiences. Number one, those who are married. Number two, those who are not yet married but hope to be. They're my two audiences. There's a sub-audience, and that is those who aren't married and never will be. And I have something to say to you as well. So to do this, I'd like, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to the second chapter of the opening book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And I want to show you some things here because we need to look at the first marriage. The very first marriage. Now some people have this notion that marriage is a social cultural construct. In other words, it evolved over time. The Bible thinks otherwise. It actually says from the outset of mankind being created, the very first institution was marriage. The first institution. And so we have in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to pick it up. At verse 18, and I'm going to render this, this is from the Hebrew, I'm going to render this, this is my translation, and I'll explain why. So reading from verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make a partner corresponding to him. Now that might sound, oh that's not the way, that's not what my Bible says, my Bible says I will make him a helper uh, fit for him or something similar to that. And here's why I'm translating that verse from the Hebrew into English that way. That is almost the literal Hebrew translation. That's, that's my first reason. Secondly, when, when we read helper, something happens in our, in our mind, what that looks like. It looks like one who is inferior to us. I don't know how that happened in English, but that's, I think, the way people look at it. That the woman was created inferior to man to serve man. But that is not what the Hebrew says. That God made someone to complement and correspond to man, Adam. Not as a servant inferior, but as a partner equal to Verse 21, so the Lord God 
caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I'm going to bring out some principles that we see here about the very first marriage in a moment. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Doesn't sound like Adam thought she was his servant. It sounds like he thinks she is his partner equal to him. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And woman means mother of all living. And there's, there's a lot we could say about this. We could see that just because there is difference doesn't mean there's inequality. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And I, we have this as something Adam is stating because Clearly, God would have established this with Adam because clearly Adam and Eve did not have a mother and a father. But God was establishing a pattern, as we'll see in a moment. And then we have this odd verse. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And if you subscribe to my Finding Truth Matters newsletter you'll see that my last article is actually on that verse uh, it's an article called who told you you were naked and, and the reason this is interesting is that after mankind fell into sin it says they discovered they were naked you got to think this one like through did, did they not ever look down did Adam never look just below Eve's chin what do you mean? How, how did they discover they were naked after they sinned? And the reason is because in Ezekiel chapter 28 or so, it says that when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he clothed them with a glory. And it describes that glory as being covered with precious stones. And when they fell, they fell from the glory of God. As it says in Romans, we have all fallen short of God's glory and that glory departed and that thing that provided a covering a glorious covering was gone hence here we have them in that glory that God had given them and they were naked and not ashamed so from what we've just read here the very foundation of what we see about marriage we see this marriage was designed as something good why do we know because it says that God looked at Adam and saw that it was not good that he be alone. And so the story goes on that he brought the animals to him to see if they would correspond to him and none of them did. And then ultimately he brought the woman. So marriage was designed as something good. Now I say that because there are people who believe today that marriage is fundamentally evil. They believe it's evil. 
They believe marriage is all about men oppressing women. That's not what the Bible teaches. Secondly, God designed male and female originally for the purpose of marriage. You wonder why we as Christians are so adamant that you cannot have same-sex marriage in the same sentence. It doesn't make sense. Because it's not marriage. It's like trying to say this is a circle but we're going to call it a square and we're all going to pretend it's equal to a square. It's not. Marriage is something. Not anything. So God designed male and female originally for the purpose of marriage. And at this point I just want to point out that as Christians we worship a celibate single saviour a celibate single saviour who created marriage and designed sex so for those who think as the early monks did they had to live a celibate life in order to be like Jesus they were wrong you don't have to but as we'll see in a moment out of the mouth of Jesus God may have called you to that. Third thing we see about marriage in this passage, that God served as the father of the bride and the celebrant at the wedding. So when there's a wedding, the celebrant, which is when I do a wedding, that's my role usually, except in Ebony, my daughter's wedding, I was not the celebrant Ebony, I was the other one. The fa- I don't know if you remember that. I was, it was so long ago, it was like six years or so. I was the father who walked Ebony down the aisle. Well, in fact, I didn't walk her down the aisle. I held her back from running down the aisle. Do you remember that? Anyway, I digress. But there is a point that when you go to a wedding, there's a lot of symbolism that finds its roots in Genesis chapter 2. The father presenting the bride to the bridegroom, the celebrant standing in the place of God it's it's symbolic and it finds its roots in Genesis chapter 2 fourthly the union of the man and the woman was not just a contract there is a difference between a contract and a covenant a contract has conditions which make the contract easily breakable a covenant is an agreement that has no breaking point except death. A covenant is a complete surrender of two parties to each other. So when Adam says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, he is speaking covenant language. We as Christians don't enter into a contract with God. We enter into a covenant with God he has given himself unreservedly to us and in response as we enter into that covenant Romans chapter 12 verse 1 we completely unreservedly give ourselves to him that's covenant fifthly the relationship of the couple necessarily changed with their parents after they were married One of the things I would really like to do with all the couples I prepare for marriage is have a session with their parents and explain to them 
do you realize what's going to change after the wedding day? I've never done it. Now, after 25 years of marrying people, I wish I had. Because sometimes, as we'll see in a moment, some parents and parents-in-law don't get it. None here, of course. Number six, I had to duck, just in case. Someone was... Number six, the intention of this marriage was to meet a need that God had put into mankind. God created mankind with certain needs. In fact, I think there's three big needs that God created every person with. And marriage was designed to meet them. Apart from mankind's greatest need, which was to be in relationship with God, but God was already satisfying that with Adam and with Eve. In fact, when they got married... I haven't got this in my notes, but I'll, I'll use this language. The relationship that Adam and Eve had was meant to be triangular. Triangular. It was meant to be Adam and Eve and God. And the picture that I often do with a couple when I'm preparing them for marriage is I'll say, if you pursue God first before the one you're about to marry, and if he or she pursues God before pursuing you, you will get closer to each other. It's a beautiful picture of, of how God has intended marriage. In Proverbs chapter 2, it describes the wayward woman, the one who commits adultery, and it says this, and, and we see this triangulation of, of what marriage is meant to be, when it says, she has forgotten the covenant she made with her husband and with God. There's that triangular relationship. Seven, marriage became the means by which God had ordained for children to be conceived and raised. So it meets needs. There's a need for love. You need love. You need to love and you need to be loved. It's a, that's the need for love. You have desires you're all created with sexual desires in the middle ages even these guys who thought being celibate was the only way to please God whenever there's etchings of monks who decided to punish themselves whenever they had a sexual idea a sexual lust a, a desire for sexual intimacy and there's a picture of a monk deciding every time that happened he would burn one of his fingers off he's got one finger left he can't even light the match now he's like it's an etching. You think I'm kidding. You'll find it on Google, I'm sure, if you, if you could be bothered. But it's, and it's tragic to realise that we are all created with this. In fact, if we weren't, there would be no pornography industry, an insidious form of human slavery, which is insidiously deceptive and incredibly evil and destroys people's lives. Marriage became the means by which God had ordained for children to be conceived and raised. Now each of these aspects of marriage presents potential problems for a married couple, their parents and potentially their children but we'll look at that in two weeks. And so now that's all of that's taken out of Genesis chapter 2. So now when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him about divorce. It did a couple of things. Firstly, it highlighted 
<laughs> that there was a problem with marriage. The Pharisees want to know what's the quickest way to divorce a woman. Now you might think, why would they do that? Because it was pretty quick. And the grounds for divorce were, I think one of the famous ones in rabbinic teaching was that if your wife didn't quite cook the dinner the way you were hoping, you could divorce her on the spot. What's that, Blair? Be careful, Julie. What? what? <laughs> and women were treated as chattels, not as people. And Jesus can see through the deception of the question that these Pharisees are asking. And so he responds to them in Matthew chapter 19, verse Three and again, I just, I just, please hear my heart in this. I spoke on issues of sexuality two weeks ago in Queensland, and I read this this passage. And at the end of the the meetings, we had people just lining up at the at the front of the church, seeking prayer and asking for God's help. And some came for forgiveness, and and the, and there were there were people who came. Tears streaming down their face, saying, I just need God's help. My son now thinks he's a woman. And, and I can't imagine the pain. I can't imagine the confusion. I can't imagine the angst that causes anyone or any family. So when, when we read this, this is not a stick. We're not waving a stick here. We're hearing Christ who prostitutes came to who young children came to, who women who had been sexually abused came to him and felt completely at ease and as if he was completely trustworthy. So hear what, hear what we're saying here. I want to hide behind right now what Jesus has to say about this. And this is what he said to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered... Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is what we call consummating a marriage. It's a picture that I, I've done before and if I had the time I would do it now where we take a sheet of paper, take a piece of sticky tape, put the sticky tape completely on that white bit of paper. I hold it up. I've done this before with you and I've said, can you see the sticky tape? And trusting that there's no particularly shiny sticky tape here, generally it's very difficult to see because they now become one. The sticky tape and the paper become one. And that's what sexual union does. And sexual union is meant to bind a man and a woman together. And sex, according to the Bible, has seven purposes. God-ordained purposes and procreation is about number three and this is why sexual promiscuity having sex without marriage outside of marriage not respecting marriage always harms always harms because if we were then to take that piece of sticky tape off the paper 
that sticky tape no longer has its original function and that paper is no longer the way it was. It's been hurt. And that's what casual sex does to both people. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm beating people up with a stick. I don't. And if I had a $50 note, I've, heard, I've had them described to me. I'm married. I've never seen one. And I, I, would, take, I would take that 50 Has anyone got a $50 note? No, we just took up the offering you shouldn't have. But anyway, if you did. <laughs> has anyone got a note of any description? Rex, you got a $20 note? No, you're married too. Sorry. Uh, you got one, Ronnie? Uh, ask the treasurer. Amanda, what do you got? Just give me a, a, a denominational note. Yeah, 20. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to get some lunch. Now, no, no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I do. So having said that, I say that so that young people here don't think when we as Christians say, don't have sex without marriage, oh yeah, so I don't get a girl pregnant, or so I don't get pregnant. No, no, that, that's, that's not what we're saying at all. We're saying because it'll hurt. It'll hurt you. It will ultimately harm you. And even if you're about to marry someone, you're, you're engaged. I heard a Catholic priest say this to a, heard of a Catholic priest who said this to a, a couple that he was preparing for marriage. And, and he, said to, he said to them, young man, the fiancé of the girl, if you have sex with your fiancé now, before you're married, you are teaching her a very, very powerful lesson. And that is this. It's okay to have sex with a man you're not married to. Do you want to teach her that? In the same way, I, I, I want to say this. If, if you have crossed that line, and what I'm saying now is bringing you under guilt or condemnation, it's not my, not my motive here. It's not my aim. My aim is to bring you into healing and wholeness, cleansing, but imagine this $20 note. I, I've just said before about the paper. You could see the paper torn and shredded. But imagine this $20 note. Imagine if I did this. You know how much this is worth. But what if I did this? How much is it worth now? It's still worth $19.90. No, no. It's still, <laughs> it's still worth $20. And the reason is... Even when we have fallen and fallen short of God's glory, even when we have blown it and we're mumbled, crunched up and we're bent and faded and all the rest of it, we're still created in the image of Queen Elizabeth. What? No, God. We're still created in the image of God. Please understand what we're saying here. Thank you, Amanda. It doesn't quite look the same as what it did when... But it makes the point. So no matter how far you've run, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter what you've done, there is forgiveness available today, right now. Hang in there with me. Listen to what Jesus said. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. We say this at a wedding for that reason. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. They're picking a fight. They don't get it. They don't get what marriage is meant to be. And Jesus does not take a back foot. He says this. 
He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And what has Jesus just done? He has just cited Genesis chapter 2. The same passage we were just looking at. And I say to you, says Jesus, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, by the way, that's not adultery, marries another and commits adultery. Two different Greek words. The point there is, and you've got to hear the gravity of what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus has just said something completely countercultural. So when we talk about going into the public square and fighting for traditional values, can I tell you, Christianity is not traditional values. Cultural tradition has long abused people and hurt people. And Christians came along completely countercultural, ignoring the traditions of people who treated women like dirt, and said, this is not right. And Jesus is giving a completely new standard on what it means to be married and what the value of a woman is. That's all we have time for tonight. If you'd like a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select The Problem of Marriage from our online store. As we've heard tonight, marriage was designed by God as something good. It is a relationship that has purpose and special functions, but it's also ripe with opportunity for problems. No matter what problems you are facing in your marriage or what mistakes you've made, you can put your trust in the sovereign God. More from Dr. Corbett next week with the problem of money. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.